A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome into the local angle. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us is John Jastrzemski from New York, New York, wrapping up Super Bowl Sunday as the Kansas City Chiefs, the new dynasty in the NFL. They win their third in five years, take it over for what the Patriots used to be, a team that I'm familiar with. JJ, this is a wild game with a lot of decisions that you can look at from a coach's perspective in this game. Is there anything that stuck off to you right off the bat where you said, hey, Kyle Shanahan did this wrong, or was this more about Pat Mahomes just being great at the end of the game? I think it's a combination of the two. Um, Number one, as I sit here in Las Vegas as we speak, Brian, I'm still bewildered to how this Kansas City team that looked dead to rights against Vegas on Christmas Day found a way to go and win yet another Super Bowl. So like that in and of itself is just absolutely mind-blowing. But, you know, I I think it's a combination of, yes, the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, who finds a way to work his magic and orchestrate his usual tricks in the fourth quarter, and then, of course, does this thing in the overtime session. But, yeah, once again, Kyle Shanahan comes up small. I I I can't look at one as opposed to the other. You know what I mean? Like, I I think they're both kind of equal in that regard. But I do have a major issue and a major problem with Shanahan in this game abandoning at times Christian McCaffrey, way too pass-reliant, and I think it came back and bit him in the butt. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and now Shanahan has a resume of these kind of games, right, where you go back to his time in Atlanta, where I know he's not the head coach, but they have a 28-3 to lead. They blow that thing. In that game, going back then, there was no reason to drop Matt Ryan back late in the game. When all you have to do is run the clock out, you win the game. He ends up getting a strip sack by Dante Hightower. But I think back to this game in particular and some of the stuff that happened where you have an opportunity to knock them out if you're the Niners. Early on in this game, you had, of course, the Pacheco fumble. I know they had the McCaffrey one as well, but you were basically cruising in this game. It felt like to me that the Niners should have been up 14 to nothing or 17 to nothing. And they let these opportunities get away. And I would especially point to two things. First of all, at the end of the first half, where the Chiefs are going in for their first score of the game, the field goal. They never take a timeout to preserve some time on the other side of things so Purdy and company can have an opportunity to score at the end of the half. And the other thing is, coming out of halftime, Pat Mahomes makes his only mistake of the postseason. He throws an interception. Great field position for San Francisco. Three and out. To your point about McCaffrey, you know how many times he ran the ball on that series, the three and out? Zero. The second series of the second half for them. You know how many times McCaffrey ran the ball? Zero. This is the best player in the team. He just won this thing the other night, JJ, the AP Offensive Player of the Year. And I get that it wasn't efficient, but you know, at any time, 
McCaffrey can break one loose. So to me, like Shanahan coached way too conservative at the end of the first half. And then when you come out of halftime, when you have the lead, that's when you should be giving the ball to Christian McCaffrey. He didn't do that. So I just look at, and I know this is about Mahomes and Mahomes getting his third Super Bowl and Andy Reid getting his third Super Bowl. But I just felt like Kyle Shanahan, for as great as a coach as he is, he is not good in these big games. They easily could have lost to the Packers. They should have lost to the Lions. Like there are games that this team should not have won that they were able to escape with. And fair on fair, Kyle Shanahan now has the same sort of reputation that Andy Reid had for all those years with the Philadelphia Eagles as a coach that has his team prepared to play, has tremendous regular seasons, but until he gets the monkey off of his back and wins the Super Bowl, those questions are going to be there. And I had a ton of issues, to your point, Brian, at the end of the first half. You got those timeouts, maybe use them. But to me, the way this game started in the second half, you're up seven. You get the Mahomes interception. You got to knock out the champ. Right then and there is your opportunity to go and get points, to make Mahomes and the Chiefs play from behind down two scores, force the angle, don't allow them to be in a position where they can get a break and capitalize, which they did. The botched punt allowed them to get right back in the game and tie it. But if you go and score there and you're up by 10 and you're up by 14, we might be talking about San Francisco running and hiding. And when you allow a team that's led by Patrick Mahomes to hang in these games, he's going to capitalize and he's going to burn you. That's what the great ones do. It's what those great Yankee teams used to do in the late 90s all the time. You saw with your Patriots when teams would give an inch, they would go and take a mile. You're seeing the exact same stuff with Kansas City. That sequence right at the beginning of the second half was a killer. And how about the missed PAT from Moody? Listen, different game in that fourth quarter. If the Chiefs got to go and score a touchdown there in those two particular situations, and it's tough to kill Moody because he hit two monstrous kicks. He hit a couple of 50-yarders that were really impressive. But those little mistakes, that's the difference sometimes, Brian, between winning a Super Bowl and losing a Super Bowl. No, it certainly does. It completely changes the game that Moody missed that PAT. And the other thing is here, like, I feel like <laughs> at first watching the game, people didn't totally understand the overtime rules because they're new this year compared to previous seasons. So when I'm thinking about this, I look at it and I'm saying, well, okay, Shanahan after the game said we wanted the third possession, right? It wasn't about the first possession or the second possession. It was, hey, we want to know when we go third that we can end the game. Now, the problem with that is it's just the guy on the other side. Like, in what he said, I, I agree with, right? Because if you go down the field, you get a touchdown. Mahomes gets a touchdown. You get the advantage here. But with the way that Shanahan tends to coach and the way that Shanahan, I thought they, quite frankly, the way they were moving the ball, they were going to go down and score. But the way that he coaches, the way that he's very conservative, he doesn't like to take a lot of chances. He's not one of these guys that goes for it on a ton of fourth downs. I felt like that could happen to the 49ers on that drive. So I didn't have a problem at the time that he did it. But once it went that way, and once they didn't pick up the touchdown, didn't you think right away, like, there's no way that Pat Mahomes is not scoring a touchdown here? Well, minimum, he's kicking a field goal. And, and my feeling... Brian with this and you kind of detailed the logic of what Kyle Shanahan and the Niners were thinking it's hey if we score a touchdown and the Chiefs score a touchdown and then we get the ball third 
All we need to do is get in field goal range and we win the game. It's as simple as that. The problem with that logic is that you are not dictating the terms. So all of a sudden now, Patrick Mahomes knows exactly what he needs, right? He gets the ball. The Niners kick a field goal, opening possession, overtime. He's like, hey, I know field goal ties it, but I know if I score a touchdown, we win it. And you're also giving the best quarterback now that we are witnessing an extra down to play with. Whereas the Niners, they don't have that extra down to play with. You know, on fourth down, they're like, hey, we we have to kick the field goal. Or we have to be a little bit more conservative because we got to make sure we come away with something. It's kind of like when you're playing poker. I want to dictate the terms there. And I know we'll see maybe more of this over the years with the overtime rules and we'll get a sense and a feel for what we like and what we don't. I know it's the first time we've ever seen it. And to your point, I had people in my life texting me saying, hey, what happens if the Chiefs don't score before the end of time? Do the Does the game end? Does it go, you know, like a lot of people are confused because they haven't seen an overtime game with these rules. This goes back to the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes game from a few years ago. But if I'm coaching a game, I'm dictating the terms, especially, hey, San Francisco scores a touchdown. Who's to say Andy Reid and the Chiefs? They score there. They might have said, you know what? Kyle, you're not getting a third chance. We're going for two. We're going to either win the game right now with our quarterback two yards away or we're going to lose the game. I mean, listen, we don't know how it would have played out, but there's no given, Brian, that all of a sudden you're going to get a third possession. So I, for one, despite the fact that his defense was on the field that final possession, I, from the get-go, did not like the decision. I would have deferred if I was San Fran. That's me. Yeah, the Dan Campbell special. If Dan Campbell ties that game up, you know, or, or he comes within one point, you know he's not kicking the PAT. He's going for two in that situation. I would say this. I would agree with Kyle Shanahan if it's any other quarterback with Mahomes. I just don't want to give Mahomes any sort of, he knows exactly what he needs. I don't want to do that. Like, I understand the idea of putting the pressure on Mahomes, but when Mahomes has the pressure on him, that's when he's at his best. We've seen in all these Super Bowls now, he falls behind. So now we sort of get into this whole idea of Pat Mahomes' legacy. I would say this. The guy that gets forgotten in all this is Andy Reid. So now he's a three-time Super Bowl champ. He's 44 wins away from Belichick. We, we've we talked about here locally. Of course, I'm recording here. We're in Boston, JJ. And we talk about like Belichick trying to t- chase down Shula's record. You know how many wins Belichick's getting next season? Zero. Andy Reid took a different team to a Super Bowl, Philadelphia. They were living in the... NFC championship game. Of course, they couldn't get over the hump. So he's got a chance to chase down Shula too now. Does Andy Reid? He's 65. He was talking before the Super Bowl. He doesn't think he he doesn't have any reason to retire. And then with Mahomes, as crazy as it sounds, he's got three. Now, I do think that this would almost be like if Magic had beaten Jordan in the first finals Jordan played in and then beat him another time because Brady knocked out Mahomes in two different playoff games, once in the Super Bowl, once in the AFC championship game. But he's 28. I mean, these guys both have a long, long runway at this point. If you're Andy Reid, you now are in the company of one of the great all-time coaches, right? Like when you talk about Belichick and Shua and you talk about Chuck Noll with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Andy Reid's there now with three Super Bowls. And it's, and that's why I hold out hope for a guy like Shanahan because people are going to roast Shanahan. Hey, he can't win the big one. That's what everybody said about Andy Reid for a long period of time. And all of a sudden, that narrative changed. You're right about Reed. And if I had Patrick Mahomes as my quarterback, I would not think about walking anytime soon. As long as my health allows it, I'd continue to go and keep coaching that guy. And 
The crazy thing about Mahomes this year, Brian, this was not supposed to be their year. Everything went wrong for them offensively. It's supposed to be a Super Bowl hangover. Their offense left a lot to be desired all season. And yet, when they needed to go and make plays, they made plays. And, you know, there are a lot of great quarterbacks in the AFC. But the bottom line is this. They're all chasing Mount Everest. That goes for Allen. That goes for Jackson. That goes for Burrow. That goes for what the Dolphins are looking to do and the Texans and the Chargers and all these teams. You're like, wow, we got a dynasty that's staring us in the face. They're a dynasty. They've been in the Super Bowl for the last five years. They've won it three of the last five years. And Patrick Mahomes is 28. Do I think he's going a decade like Tom Brady did without winning a Super Bowl? I don't. I mean, I don't know about you, Brian. I think Patrick Mahomes is winning at least another three or four before it's all said and done. I really do. So for him to win one this year is it is so like mind blowing to me because it was the deck was stacked against him. He's on the road. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Well, it was this way. That's off to the Chiefs. Yep, it reminds me of the 2018 Patriots where they were 11 and five. They were losing to Matt Patricia's Lions. They were losing to the Tennessee Titans with Mariota. But when they got in the postseason, they found a way to get it done. All right, a lot more coming up. You'll hear from JJ and I a little bit later on as well. Coming up next, though, Jason Goff from the Fogo in Chicago will tell you, hey, the Bears have the number one pick. Maybe they can be contenders again. Maybe soon they can do it. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT. You can go ahead and cash that check in now. We don't have to play these games for the next 16 years of his career. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. By the way, welcome on in. Shout out to everybody out there who is uh, checking us out on FanDuel TV. This is the local angle. I'm just going to give y'all the local angle of uh, all the things I've been hearing about Caleb Williams. Because if Caleb Williams is Patrick Mahomes, go ahead, trade everybody it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who the other 52 players are on the chicago bears going forward justin it has been fun thank you i appreciate you and what you meant in this development in my bears fandom to where i am looking forward to now having a quarterback go to what six straight nfc championship games and win three super bowls in the six years that he's starting yeah Stop that right now, Bears fans. Hey, I know the clock has just started for the NFL draft. Stop that right now. Stop that right. Don't do this to this man after what I just watched on television. He was throwing to me, Tony Gill, Chris Sutton, Kyle Williams, and, and hell, Jesse Lopez and Chris Tannehill. That's who he was throwing to. And Travis Kelsey, who, you know, 
we're gonna talk about it we're gonna get in deep but uh, we do this every sunday every tuesday every thursday right here on the full go when there's an emergency pod we throw that in the mix as well we appreciate everybody out there in the fan duel tv land and of course of course we are brought to you by the ringer yeah yo <laughs> that game the first half i say about two-thirds of that game was not good i don't care what anybody has to say about football being football and ooh, i hey, great defenses great defenses out there perform now i'm all about it but let's be real y'all that was some slop for a good you know what the long it was the seventh longest football game played ever ever okay and we end up 25 to 22 in overtime okay let's not do the whole mistaking close for entertaining now it was entertaining at the end and that's only because the game came down to exactly what we expected to come down to. Bears fans understand how important that position is. We just don't understand what it looks like when it's being nurtured or developed because we've never seen it before. But for all these other franchises, whether it be Kansas City, whether it be the San Francisco 49ers, they've had quarterbacks before. Neither probably have had quarterbacks like they have right now for different circumstances and different reasons, right? You know, the greatness that the 49ers have had, but this Brock Purdy thing is and has taken on a life of its own. And what more can you say about Patrick Mahomes? There's nothing more local than comparing Patrick Mahomes to arguably the greatest athlete of all time, which is Michael Jordan. There is an understanding that if you give him time, much like you give Tiger Woods any kind of opening, you know, any at any time that you 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 saw uh, you know Wayne Gretzky bearing down on you, or you know Mario Lemieux, or any of the greats in hockey that in my generation of watching hockey, any sport, you just give the greats a little bit of time. You give them a little bit of room. You give them a little bit of uh, opportunity, shall we say? You give them opportunity, and they they take advantage of those opportunities. We saw it here in this city. For six times, six times, six finals MVPs. What we just watched just now was the greatest player in the most celebrated sport at the most celebrated position of all of team sports in this country do exactly what we expected him to do. The story would have been if Patrick Mahomes didn't do it. And all this year, all we've talked about is who he was not throwing to. Kadarius Toney was a healthy scratch for the Super Bowl. He is by far the most talented receiver, probably the most um, irresponsible one and then the least reliable one, but by far the most talented receiver. He's on the bench. I don't even know why we didn't get any shots of him. <laughs> He's on the bench, okay? He's out there throwing to Travis Kelsey, who was at the end of his career. And for the first half, Travis Kelsey was missing. And shout out to the basketball principles taking place as well. You know, bring it back to the crib. <laughs> you want to go one-on-one, you already know what you got to do. Get a, get a man the ball. And that's what they did. They started calling players instead of plays. I think I heard that somebody say that on NFL Network, and it couldn't ring more true. They started calling players. Hey, it's time to force feed the ball to the best player because the best player who gets the ball needs the other, other players to do something. And all Patrick Mahomes did was, was stare down Josh Allen, stare down Lamar Jackson, and then stare down Brock Purdy and, and the San Francisco 49ers defense and Fred Warner, who, I mean, we've seen 54s run around like that in this city. Fred Warner, you, you talk about dynamite on a football field. You, you want to you take yourself to where the action is? Find 54. He was all over the field and has been for the last four or five years. I remember when Bobby Wagner started to slide a little bit. 
And the people are like, hey, in that division, <clears throat> there's another one. And Fred Warner has been that dude and more. It sucks that that kind of dude has to be on the losing end of it. But just like Patrick Ewing had to be on the losing end of it, just like Reggie Miller had to be on the losing end of it, just like Carl Malone had to be on the losing end of it, just like Charles Barkley, just like all the greats that Bulls fans in this city had to see other people be on the losing side of. That's why when the LeBron thing started to happen against the Bulls when he was a Cleveland Cavalier and people would be like, oh, he's getting all the calls. I'm like, hey, guess what? We the Pistons, <laughs> we're the Knicks, we're the Pacers. <laughs> you know, oh, well, Derek could have, you know, listen, I, it would have been fun. I, I'm sure it would have been ch a challenge and there would have been great things that would have happened. But in the end, the great ones who transcend not only the sport, but the moment, those dudes take over. And sometimes you just got to tip your cap and say, guess I lost. I lost to that guy, though. I lost to that dude. We talk a lot about Melo's career, right? Melo is one of my favorite basketball players of all time. We never talk about the fact that Carmelo Anthony got eliminated five times in his career by the eventual NBA champion. So when that dude or that team is on the other side of things, then sometimes you just got to shrug your shoulders and know that's all we got. And we saw that with Jordan. Now we're seeing that with Patrick Mahomes. And if Caleb Williams is anything close to that, <laughs> which I already think is a stretch and setting him up for failure the way that no quarterback should be set up for failure, because this ain't comparing a guy to Joe Montana. Right? Joe Montana came out of Notre Dame, decent arm, right? got set into the perfect situation, terrifically intelligent dude, high football IQ, ends up being next to Jerry Rice for his entire career before that. Dwight Clark was a Pro Bowl tight end. Like, he, I mean, Pro Bowl receiver. He had things around him he had an infrastructure around him and lived up to it like we're talking about rarefied air tom brady you know that situation and the relationship and synergy between bill belichick tom brady and the new england patriots listen listen you remember what was said about andy reed before pat mahomes at philadelphia you remember you remember with alex smith what was said about andy reed we are talking about Andy Reid now in the Bill Belichickian of, of terms. It's because of that dude. So say what you want. And I understand if Justin Fields ain't the guy for Chicago, cool. If Caleb Williams is that guy, super cool. That's how ridiculous I think this thing has been. And I think it's getting ready to be. You need to draw back, y'all, because what we just saw, the moment, the moment on second and short and third and short, <laughs> the moment... The, the, the Kansas City Chiefs defense stood tall and did what they had to do. You already knew the vibes. You knew what was getting ready to happen. And you knew it wasn't going to be a turnover. And what did he do? What did he do? All you old school win from the pocket people out there in the second half, that man took the football game over with his legs. He took the football game over. He called his play, and he called Travis Kelsey's play and didn't say anything about it, just took over. Went man-to-man. I'm better than you throwing the football. And also, if you got a spy out there, you better use them because I'm going to pick up first down after first down after first down if these dudes running around out here who are Tony, Chris, Kyle, and Jason at wide receiver, if they can't get open, I'm going to make something happen. That's greatness. That's playing above the play. For all the people who don't know what it means, the last couple of years when I've been talking about Justin Fields in certain terms and saying, hey, it, it takes a special few that can play up when everything is down, play above the play, that's what 15 did. That's what he continues to do. And he's 28 years old.
So if he wants to do this for the next, I don't know, 13, 14 years and stay healthy, that's the other thing, man. All the things that we talk about, you know, game manager versus game changer. All I know is the man had two tackles that that really he's been carrying all season long. He's had three or four wide receivers that he's had to raise. He's got a running game in Isaiah Pacheco, who, let's face it, we already know that man is like a four pickup truck. That's going to be three or four good years, and you're going to have to get another one of those the way he runs. And all he's done is take the youngest team in the NFL to the playoffs and had to go on the road for a couple of games. All he's done is go toe-to-toe with the MVP at his home in MNT Bank Stadium and win. If that's not Jordan in football pants, I don't know what we're talking about. And I usually don't gush over things and people like this, but y'all know what it is. There's a couple of things that we take from this as Chicago fans. That position, no matter what we say, you have to be dynamic. And not only do you have to be dynamic, you have to be allowed to be dynamic. In the biggest game, Andy Reid put his ego to the side, his play-calling prowess to the side, and he allowed his quarterback to be a dual-threat quarterback. No matter what you want to say about Patrick Mahomes from the, from the pocket, he knew he couldn't win it from that because of what the tackles were being put under in terms of pressure. He allowed his player, he allowed the MVP more years than not, He allowed the greatest player at his position in his generation to just go out there and play football. And that's all I've been begging for. Allow dudes to play football. Don't be too strident and cleave to a system that might be made for, you know, this copy and paste quarterback or that copy and paste quarterback. When you got a special talent, understand it, nurture it, develop it, and let it it do its thing. And Andy Reid, who's already built for the Hall of Fame, allowed Patrick Mahomes to do his thing. And I couldn't have I couldn't have been more entertained down the stretch. The the first two thirds of that game let me down. Nah, not the last third of it. And we're gonna get into it a lot more. We gotta jump into that and a lot more things. The Bulls and trade deadline didn't get a pot off about the trade deadline, so I'm gonna have to talk to y'all about that. And oh, don't you worry. We're gonna get into this Usher halftime show as well. We got a lot to talk about. This is the local angle. We've given you that local spin with the Super Bowl flair entertaining entertaining stuff you can check check us out here on the full go every sunday every tuesday every thursday or when we need to drop an emergency pod right here on FanDuel tv thank you so much local all right coming up next we'll get to the patriots and how they can get back into contention it all starts with a big decision they have to make with the number three pick in april's draft the Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. So Super Bowl Sunday has been sad here in New England over the past couple of years because, at least from my perspective, my whole life, the Patriots were successful. And a lot of these Super Bowl Sundays, they were playing. And now we're getting ready for Super Bowls and conference championship games, and the Patriots have been nowhere to be found over the past few years. Think about this. The last time the Patriots won a playoff game was the Super Bowl over the Rams. 
Since then, Tom Brady has won a Super Bowl, retired, unretired, and played another season. Rob Gronkowski, since the Patriots' last playoff win, has retired twice, okay? We've had a little bit of hope in 2021 with young Mac Jones, but of course, we all know that didn't work out. Mac was legitimately one of the worst quarterbacks over the past two years in the NFL. So the question is, how do the Patriots get back to Super Bowl contention again? So the first thing we know is Mac Jones is going to be gone. Ann Rappaport already reported on Sunday that the Patriots are going to be looking to trade Mac Jones because of how poorly he played. We don't know what the value is going to be in terms of you're not going to get anything significant for Mac Jones because he played so poorly last season. But that's the first thing that has to happen, which it will. The next thing is, and this is sort of an underrated part of what the Patriots need to do to get back to contention, pick up where Steve Belichick left off. Now, I know Bill deserves a ton of credit because he built the defensive side of the ball for years with this organization for two decades, and Gerard Mayo deserves a lot of credit for his role, and of course, he's now the head coach of the team. But since 2019, and the reason I referenced 2019, that's when Steve Belichick became the defensive play caller. Since that point, the Patriots have been number one in the NFL in EPA per play on the defensive side of the football. That is a five-year period where they've had, over that five-year period, the best defense in the NFL. And look, there's been a ton of different players, right? This goes back to Stephon Gilmore's year as the defensive player of the year in 2019. And then there's been a lot of turnover, but that's a strong sample size, five years. So despite a lot of bad seasons that this organization has had, especially in the post-Brady era, but even in 2019, for Patriots standards, that was not a good season, the defense has still held up its end of the bargain, right? And you think about what happened last season. So the Patriots lost Christian Gonzalez, their first-round draft pick, and Matthew Judon, both for the season. And the Patriots' defense was still able to put out a strong performance in 2023, despite losing their two best defensive players. If you look at the numbers last season, they had the worst field position in the NFL because their offense was turning the football over so much or they weren't moving it at all. Yet they had the fourth best scoring percentage against. Those numbers shouldn't match up. You have the worst field position and somehow you find a way to be the fourth best defense in terms of scoring percentage against. That's a remarkable number. Steve Belichick deserves a lot of credit because he changed how they play defense. If you go to this past season, the Patriots were fourth in blitz rate, 35.2%. The prior season, they were 19th at 21.6% because they had Judon the whole season. So they didn't need to blitz as much because they had an elite pass rusher. So what did Steve do? He changed things up. We're talking about a 13.6 percentage points increase in terms of the blitz rate last season. That's Steve. Now, Mayo promoted Demarcus Covington, who's 34. Neither one of them, Mayo or Demarcus Covington, has called plays in the past. So this is something that they're going to have to pick up where Steve left off. So look, the one great thing that the Patriots had happened last year with all these guys that were dealing with injuries is Christian Barmore emerged as a star. Pro Football Focus ranked him as the ninth best defensive lineman this past season and the eighth best pass rusher in terms of pass rush grade via Pro Football Focus. Those are really good numbers. And those numbers match the eye test. He was awesome, especially down the stretch of the season. So you bring, of course, Barmore is going to be back, and you bring down, you bring back, I should say, your lockdown corner and Christian Gonzalez. Okay, so the personnel is good, but can you call the game the same way that Steve Belichick did? Can you scheme it up going forward the same way that Steve Belichick did? So yes, Steve, he takes a lot of criticism because he's Bill's kid. Like, how much does Steve really do? Well, we're going to find out about that next season. Can this defense be the way it's been over five years when Steve Belichick was the defensive play caller? Okay. 
The next thing they have to do in terms of getting back to a Super Bowl, how do they do it? They need to start treating and playing offensive football like the league is doing. So if you look at the top 10 players this past season in receiving yards, only one of those guys, his team didn't make the playoffs. That was DJ Moore with Chicago. All the other nine guys on this list in terms of leading receivers, and I'm talking about total receiving yards, not per game, total receiving yards this year, nine of the top 10 guys made the playoffs. The Patriots' leading receiver this past season was Demario Douglas. He ranked 78th in receiving yards. And this is not an indictment on Demario Douglas. I like him. And, of course, Kendrick Bourne was dealing with the injury. But the point stands. You didn't have a legitimate, bona fide number one weapon. And really, if you look at this organization, they haven't had a legitimate number one weapon since Rob Gronkowski retired. And, look, Edelman tried to do it in 2020, but he was banged up. And as much as we love Edelman, he's not really a true number one guy. And I know he's been a Super Bowl MVP, but he's not a true number one guy because the defense isn't saying, hey, let's double Edelman. And Edelman's not beating you over the top, right? He's he's incredible. He's one of the best yak guys we've seen, but he's not a he's not a star level receiver, a star level tight end like Gronk was. So and they've tried at times, like they drafted Nikhil Harry. <laughs> we all remember how that went in 2019. Since then, they used a second round pick on a guy like Tyquan Thornton, who didn't even have 100 receiving yards this past season. And then a lot of these receivers they brought in, like I really like Kendrick Bourne, and I like what he did for the organization, but Aguilar didn't work out. They gave Devontae Parker an extension. I've never understood that. Devontae Parker is a guy that legitimately can't get open. He ranked last in the NFL the past four seasons in separation. Dead last in the NFL, and that's a guy that they extended. So what do the Patriots need to do? Well, you need to go out there and pay a top-tier receiver in free agency and you should be putting more resources into receiver too in terms of the nfl draft but not to mention the fact that kendrick Bourne could be gone because he's a free agent i would like kendrick Bourne to be back i think he's a really good player for this team but he's going to have a market considering the fact that he's already recovering from the acl situation he did it early enough where it appears he's going to be ready for the beginning of training camp but even if you brought back kendrick Bourne, as much as i like him you still need a top tier guy so that is T. Higgins, Mike Evans, or Michael Pittman. So Evans is older, but he still dominated last season, had another 1,000-yard receiving year, okay? And he was good in that playoff game too, right? Like this guy could put up some yardage in terms of what he's able to do. He still has it. And the interesting part of this with Evans is you say, well, Brian, he's on the other side of 30. Why would Mike Evans want to be a member of the New England Patriots? It's really simple. Money. That's the reason he'd want to do it. Now, there's other teams that can pay him. Like Mike Evans is from Texas. The Houston Texans may say, hey, let's offer Mike Evans a ton of money, bring him home to the state of Texas, and he can play for us. The interesting component with with Evans is he already has his ring. Like most guys at this stage of his career are looking to get a ring. He already won that with Tom Brady. So now maybe the Texans can sway him because of the connection with the state, but the Patriots can offer him a ton of money. They have a ton of salary cap space. So you have a chance to get Mike Evans. And even if he doesn't fit a timeline with your organization, he still elevates the present. And you need that threat because we've seen how tough it is for the Patriots to, you know, participate in the vertical passing game over the past couple of years. Mike Evans helps you there. T. Higgins is going to have the most robust market because it's going to be difficult for them to justify tagging T. Higgins because eventually they're going to have to pay Jamar Chase. And they may do that this offseason where they give Jamar Chase big money now. I love Higgins. Chase is the better player. So Cincinnati may be choosing one or the other, and they're going to side with Chase when it comes to that situation. So T. Higgins, 
very well may hit the market, and he's a top-tier guy. Now, I'm not saying he's a top-five receiver in the NFL, but he'd be by far the best receiver on the Patriots. He's a massive individual at six foot four. He would elevate this offense. The other guy you could look at, as we mentioned, is Michael Pittman. Pittman, you would think that Indy wants to keep him, but who knows? Sometimes these guys enter free agency, and you have a chance to go after him. Pittman's a guy that makes a lot of sense, but those are three guys, and at least two of the top three. I would say Pittman is the least gettable out of those three just because I think Indy values him, and especially considering they have a young quarterback there coming back from an injury, and Anthony Richardson. But Higgins or Evans, one of those guys, should be in a Patriots uniform, especially considering the fact that Robert Kraft said recently they were going to spend this offseason. And this is after it was revealed, Mike Reese reported this, that the Patriots in cash spending were dead last in the NFL over the past 10 seasons. So that was put out there. Everybody in the fan base knows it now. you got to sort of make up for that as the owner of the team and say, hey, we need a star-level receiver. But it's also understanding how football works now. You can't have a bunch of random receivers, right? You need to have a legitimate star receiver or a legitimate star tight end. We'll see if the Patriots do that. Okay, the last thing in terms of how the Patriots get back to being a Super Bowl-level contender is don't overthink the quarterback thing. Take Drake May or take Jaden Daniels. I like both those guys. When are you going to have the third pick again? And if you look at the following draft, we're talking about Shador Sanders, Quinn Ewers, Riley Leonard, Cam Ward. There's just, there's not a ton there, okay? There's not a ton there in terms of the available quarterbacks. And look, somebody could have a big rise like we just saw with Jaden Daniels. That happened with Joe Burrow when he was at LSU. His first year at LSU was not great after he transferred from Ohio State. He was fine, but then he emerged into the number one prospect. All right, coming up next, we'll head to Vegas where John Jastrzemski from New York, New York is. will get you caught up on how these New York teams can once again be competitive. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the local angle here on FanDuel TV. I'm JJ Janjastremski, the host of New York, New York. And as I sit here in my hotel room at the Luxor in lovely Las Vegas after the Kansas City Chiefs took down the San Francisco 49ers in overtime, the idea of envisioning a world in which I'm in a hotel room next season in New Orleans talking about the Jets or talking about the Giants playing on the grand stage and playing in this game seems beyond far. It seems like the sort of script that no script writer in Hollywood would even take to their desk for a meeting or a conversation. And listen, painting a Super Bowl picture for the Jets and the Giants at this stage in the game It's kind of comedy. I think if you're a Jet fan, in all seriousness, when you have the longest playoff drought in the four professional sports, and I know there are Jet fans that go back to the days of Joe Willie Namath that saw Super Bowl III. My father is one of them. 
most of the Jet fans in my life. They remember Mark Sanchez. They remember Vinny Testaverde. They remember a couple of AFC title games. They don't remember Super Bowl three. But to show you how far the quote-unquote bar has fallen in Jetland, and this is with Aaron Rodgers in the fold, and this is with the idea that, hey, Brees Hall at running back, Garrett Wilson at receiver, defense that, statistically speaking, has some pieces to work with. All that being said, Jets haven't made the playoffs since 2009, 2010. 2010, 2011. I mean, you're going on 13 plus years without the Jets being in the postseason tournament. So before I'm even like envisioning the idea of them being in New Orleans next year for the Super Bowl, can they make the playoffs? Can Robert Sala show me that he can coach a team that doesn't commit a zillion penalties and doesn't get off to slow starts and doesn't have everybody playing the blame game within their infrastructure? And can he have a competent resemblance of an offense. You're in a loaded AFC. See, if the Jets were in the NFC next year, I think their path to success would be a lot easier to envision. It really would. You'd say, wow, the conference is there for the taking. There's not really this jaw-dropping quarterback that's staring you in the face. Purdy's there. Hurts is there. Goff is there. Prescott is there. Love is there. But it's not like, oh my God, we got to run through Allen and Burrow and Lamar. And oh, by the way, Mount Everest, Patrick Mahomes. That's the biggest problem I have with the Jets going into next year. And the fact that I don't trust their brain trust. I don't trust their infrastructure. I can't trust Aaron Rodgers coming off a torn Achilles at 40 years old. And it's just... It's one of those instances where I have to see it to believe it. So the path for the Jets getting back to the postseason and relevance is, hey, you better pray that running it back and all of the dreams and all of the hopes they had just eight, nine months ago with Aaron Rodgers can be lived in a loaded AFC conference. I mean, geez, you want a storybook. The Jets going through next year in the AFC. Going through those teams and those quarterbacks with Aaron Rodgers coming off a year in which he missed the entire season with a torn Achilles. Yeah, that'd be that'd be one hell of a story. I know New York would love to see it. The Jet fans would love to see it. But let's start with making the playoffs first. The Giants, look, the good news is they're in the right conference. The bad news is they're kind of a franchise right now that's in a state of flux. They have a top 10 draft pick. Are they in the market for a quarterback? They should be. If that quarterback is there for the taking. If indeed that quarterback becomes available. But if the draft goes the way we think it might go, where quarterbacks go one, two, and three, then all of a sudden, what is your next move? Is it Daniel Jones with a second round quarterback? Is it Daniel Jones with a veteran quarterback who's brought into the room to be a competitor? Like, Whatever that scenario may be, it kind of paints the Giants as like a transition team where you can sell me on improvement. You could sell me on the fact that they will be better next season. But do I have the Giants as one of those teams that's going to go and make the jump from being a middling 
mediocre NFC team throughout last year that got off to a sore start, that couldn't match up against the big-time teams, that maybe found it a little bit later in the year, too little too late. You got to tell me what that quarterback situation is. You got to tell me what they do with their first couple of draft picks and what's life like, maybe, without Saquon Barkley. And that is an overarching question surrounding the Giants. Saquon Barkley played his last game wearing that giant uniform. You know, the owner wants to keep him. You know, he means a lot to the brand. And he's a leader. He's a man of the year candidate. He's a likable dude. But he's a running back pushing 30. You want to pay a running back pushing 30 on a team that won six games a year ago? My sense and my feel is the general manager does not. So, long story short, I know here on the local angle, they want to have us paint some sort of like glowing, beautiful picture of how, hey, next year is going to be different. I just hope next year both teams are in the playoff mix going into December, January. Forget about the idea of playing in New Orleans in the Super Bowl. Let's, uh, let's get both of these teams, week 16, 17, 18, playing against that matter. I'm setting the bar that low from a New York football perspective. Now, the expectations have been ratcheted up quite a bit involving the basketball team that I root for. And in the moves they made on Thursday, the Knicks now have really positioned themselves by adding Bogdanovich, by adding Burks, by holding on to all of their number one picks, which was a stroke of genius by Leon Rose and company. They got a lot of different ways to beat. Now, the issue the Knicks are running into, and it was on full display Saturday night against the Indiana Pacers, they are hurting from an injury standpoint. They don't have Randall. They're going to be without Anobi for a couple of weeks. Hartenstein went down. He didn't play. Brunson's all beat up. Like the all-star break could not be coming at a better time for the New York Knicks. They desperately need the All-Star break. Desperately. But the hope is, once they get everybody back in the fold, they have a lot of different ways to be here. They got shooters go war all over the floor. All over the floor. Bogdanovich, Burks can hit the three. Even Chenzo can hit the three. Ananobi can hit the three. Hart can hit the three. That's what you need in the modern-day NBA. They have interior scoring with Randall. They're a terrific defensive team, and you feel great about the ball in Jalen Brunson's hands at the end of these games. So I think with the trade deadline, where has the expectation changed? I think some Knicks fans are thinking, hey, Milwaukee's vulnerable. Philly doesn't have him beat. Cleveland, as well as they've been playing, the Knicks smoked Cleveland in five games just a year ago. Outside of Boston, who's the team in the Eastern Conference? When Nick fans are saying, maybe it can be us. Maybe it can. But I think that requires the Knicks rounding in the form and getting healthy in a hurry. They need to get healthy in a hurry. Because you don't want to have a situation in which, hey, a lot of these guys not maybe playing together, incorporating Bogdanovich incorporating Alec Burks into the mix 
know Burks has been here, but like you had a good chemistry rapport. Knicks can only hope that they can basically snap their fingers like they did in the Ananobi trade and not miss a beat. But I think having big time positioning in the postseason, and that means home court advantage, and that means maybe avoiding Boston as long as you possibly can, can really do wonders in trying to make that sort of run. Knicks losing the first round out, you're going to be bitterly disappointed. That's kind of how this is shook out. Can't believe I'm saying it, but that's really how it shook out. And it's crazy to look at the Knicks and think about where they were a few years ago. And think about where they are right now. Is there a team in New York City that's more well-run than the Knicks? You find me that team. Who would it be? Tough to find a team that's more well-run than the New York Knicks in New York City. Now, I'm not going to give you the litany of teams across the sport. I know a lot of people nationally are like, really? JJ, next full run? Yes. Look at the last four years. Look at that Jalen Bronson contract. Look at the Bronson contract. Look at the hard trade. Look at the trades this time around, and then tell me otherwise. Just saying. We'll wrap it up like we do each and every week here on The Local Angle. Our buddy Jeff Money has a couple of Monday plays in store for us. Jeff Money, floor is yours. Let's hear him, buddy. What's up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. Before Monday the 12th, I got two plays. I got one in college basketball and one in the NBA. College basketball money, so I'm going to go with Wake Forest plus the seven over Duke. And in the NBA, I'm going to take the Chicago Bulls plus the three and a half over the Atlanta Hawks. Again, two plays in college basketball. I'm going to take Wake Forest plus the seven. And in the NBA, I'm going to take the Chicago Bulls plus the three and a half. And I will to follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Bunny. Uh, let's hope that Wake Forest treats us better than they did a couple weeks ago uh, when we took them on a Monday, and it, not, it did not go particularly well. So I, I, I wish you luck on that one. What I am going to do, and I know I have not had great success fading Kansas, although I did have Kansas State, I think, last week, so maybe it's more of a mixed bag. Texas Tech, two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Kansas coming off the big win against Baylor over the weekend. Let's take the Red Raiders over FanDuel Sportsbook laying a two and a half as we now officially make the transition from the NFL season to the full-fledged March Madness into the start of the baseball season into the NBA and the NHL playoffs. All of it will be here before you know it. I will be taking a little local angle hiatus going on my honeymoon for the next couple weeks. So I'll miss all of you here on FanDuel TV. 